hearing our prayers this morning. Lord, for, for allowing us to worship you this morning. Lord, I pray that everything that we have sung and said in your name has blessed your heart, Lord, this morning, that we have acknowledged that you are God and we are not. Oh, Lord, I pray that our worship puts a smile on your face. And it's to your glory and your glory alone that we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. all in. And so if you will, grab your Bibles and go to Luke chapter 14. And as you turn there, um, our lead pastor, Dr. Cox, is uh, on sabbatical uh, this month. And so much needed sabbatical for him. And so we're going to be walking through uh, this series together through this month. And so if you're a guest with us here, uh, I'm not the normal guy. I'm the associate pastor. I'm over missions and evangelism. And so I say that two things. Um, come back, right? Okay. D- d- regardless of how this goes, keep coming back. And, uh, but also pray for our pastor as he is on sabbatical. Uh, we know that the Lord is speaking to him and he is writing and he's praying and God's giving him fresh vision for where we're going as a church. So we're excited about that. We want to continue to pray for him during this sabbatical. So by now you should be at Luke chapter 14, and as you turn there, I want you to think for a minute, what are some of your favorite meals of all time? Now when you think about that, don't think about the food, think of the people, the, the experience that, that you had. Um, for me, I, I think of a couple, um, every Thanksgiving my dad would film us, right, and, and we would have to say what we were thankful for. The most awkward, like, five minutes of family video you will ever watch. It's hilarious when we watch it together now. Like, we're always like, uh, I don't know, you know? And so the next year, we got, like, me and my brother and sister, we did a huddle. And we were like, okay, family, food, football, break, you know? And we just went out, and we were like, ha, joke's on you, Dad, you know? Um, I think of birthday parties, right? Uh, Back in the day, if you had your birthday party at Pizza Hut, they would take you in the back and you could put toppings on your own pizza. That was awesome. Um, I think of staff lunches to Maggiano's, right? We went as a staff one time to Maggiano's, and this was before my weight loss journey, and I, like, pigged out. And all I remember is I got on the bus, I got to the back row, and then we ended up in Manchester somehow. I don't know. I was in a food coma. It was just, and that's gluttony. But anyway, we move on. Um, I think about coffee with mentors, you know, just sitting down with older guys and, and them pouring into my life. And then I think of the best one. It was when Katie and I were in college, and it was on our two-year anniversary of dating. And I took her to the dining room at the Martha Washington Inn, right? And this is when I realized I was in love, okay? Because I spent more that night on that meal than I did the whole semester on books, Right? I've got to be in love if I'm doing this. Like, I don't even feel bad about it. Like, I'm excited. I don't know. Anyway, so, but most of our memorable meals happen with family and friends. I mean, they're rarely drive throughs at Taco Bell at midnight, right? Or ramen noodles in your dorm room while you're all alone, right? That never hits the list. Salisbury steak on an airplane. No one ever says that. But here's the thing. The kingdom of God is like a good meal. It's like a feast. It's like a party you get invited to. And you enjoy time with people and good food and great time together. 
And so today, as we talk about going all in, we want to talk about hospitality, uh, but we also want to talk about this parable that Jesus teaches when he uses a party to describe what the kingdom of God is like. So here's the big idea. The big idea is this. The kingdom of God is like a party, and our, soul, our souls are longing for it. So the context, as we said, Jesus is at a party of a prominent Pharisee, and while he's there, he's observing some things. And as he's observing these things, he begins to point out some things that are not like the kingdom. And he begins to show us what these things are. And so here's the first observation Jesus makes here in Luke 14, starting in verse 7. The first observation is that everyone is angling for the place of honor. Let me read this to you. He says, when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. Now, when he tells this parable, he's going to make two things. He's going to give some practical advice, but he's also going to point us to the gospel. So we're going to get good advice, and we're going to get good news at the same time. He told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the low place. So that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. And then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus gives us some practical advice. He says, listen, when you go to a party, don't immediately go to the high place, the place of honor. Right? Go ahead and start at the, the low place, because, well, if you go to the high place and then the, the host comes, he says, hey, you really need to sit back here. That's embarrassing. Uh, I liken this to a time when I went to a Predators game. This is a true story, I promise. I went to a Predators game with some friends, and we bought the cheap seats, right? And so it was the Gaylord Arena at the time. Now it's the Bridgestone. We were in, like, the very back of the Bridgestone, right? And you could see everything. I mean, it was still awesome. But this was back when the Predators weren't very good, and so the, the arena wasn't very full, and we could see kind of room down at the glass, you know? It's like, oh, man, I better be awesome to sit down there. So guess what we did? You see where this is going, right? We thought to ourselves, let's, let's maybe just go down and let's just see what happens. So we, we got down through the gate, walked down the steps, and then we got there and we noticed there's ushers at every gate, right? And they're going to check tickets. But we noticed if you got a concession, like they... they didn't check your ticket. So I got a hot dog and a drink, and I thought, oh, you know, I can't get my ticket. And so they, it worked. They let me through. And so I'm walking down, and I'm getting down there, and I see some seats, and I'm like, these are good seats, you know. And so t- tell my guys, my buddies, we all, we all kind of get in there, and, and we sit down. And this is like at the end of the first period. We thought we were safe. About midway through the second period, guess who shows up? The family that bought the tickets, right? Oh, it was so embarrassing. So, you know, we kind of have a talk, and we're like, oh, we're sorry. We didn't think you were coming. We all got up. The bad thing that happened was that the usher saw what was going on. He walked up to us. Um, Guys, can I see your tickets? So we pull them out. He's like, okay, come with me. And so it was so embarrassing. We went from the front where everybody could see us, and now we're getting escorted out. I thought, oh, no, am I going to be on the Megatron? Is this game televised? Are people going to see this? Will my mom find out? You know, like, oh, it's terrible. Jesus says in this parable, practical wisdom, 
don't do that, right? Like, you don't get invited to more parties if you do that, right? Don't do that. But then he also, in this moment, is pointing us to the gospel, right? He's pointing us to good news. Like, in this parable, Jesus is saying that none of us deserve the place of honor at God's table. And let's be honest, none of us even deserve a spot at the table, right? It's because Jesus, who deserved the high place, came to earth and and came into our lowly place. And because he took our place on the cross, he suffered our penalty, he died for our sin. Because of that, now we are invited now to come to the high place at the table, right? Jesus took our place on the cross, and now we're allowed to see at the table. That is the greatest news the world could ever hear. Hashtag the gospel, right? Can I get an amen? I want to make sure you're with me this morning. But here's the thing. In order to get a seat at the table, you have to acknowledge that you deserve the low place. Like, you have to acknowledge that you're a sinner, that you're a rebel, right? And then you receive the place at the table as a gift. Like, that's such a key, okay? We probably need to say this word together, okay? So on the count of three, can we just say gift? One, two, three. Gift. We have to accept the seat at the table as a gift, You see, we often miss this. We think God will love us if we're worthy of his love. So we try to show that we're worthy. We might try to show that we're better than other people, right? We're we're really good parents, or we're extremely intelligent, or we're hardworking, or we're ridiculously good-looking, right? I don't know why I'm pointing at myself right now. It just kind of happened naturally, but we all do that. You see, some of us live our lives like we're on an episode of Survivor, And we're trying to convince our tribe why they should keep us on the island. That doesn't work in your relationship with God. God's love and acceptance of you is always a gift. It's not something you can earn. So Jesus says, if you choose the posture of trying to earn your place before God, you get rejected, right? But if you acknowledge that you deserve to be rejected and that Jesus was rejected for you, then you will be received up to the high place. In Christianity, the way up is always down. If you humble yourself, you will be exalted. If you exalt yourself, you'll be rejected. We have to get this. I know we're talking about hospitality. I promise you at the end, this is all going to come together. So just walk with me for a minute. In life, we demonstrate the gospel when we humble ourselves, we seek the low place, and we allow God the opportunity to elevate us. This is called grace. Observation number two. Observation number two is this. This party is primarily for the affluent and the influential, right? Jesus was not affluent, but he was pretty influential, right? He had a lot of followers. He could do some really cool party tricks, right? I mean, if you turn water into wine, you get invited to a lot of parties, right? And and that's kind of what's going on here. Look at verses um, verses 12 through 14. Then Jesus said to the host, to the guy throwing the party, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, sisters, your relatives, your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, 
the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the dead. What Jesus is telling everybody right now in that culture is economic suicide, right? When you would throw a party, it was primarily a strategic financial move. You would invite all your rich friends so that all the rich people could get to know all the other rich people, right? Now, this isn't against rich people. This is just what's going on here in the text, right? And so Jesus says, listen, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Now, that could be physically or spiritually, right? Jesus loves to use physical metaphors to show spiritual conditions. He says, invite those people even though they could never repay you, right? I want to point out, Jesus hardly ever got a second invite to a party, right? He normally did stuff like this, and then he was crossed off the list. But Jesus says, invite people who can't repay you back. Invest your life into people who can't repay you. So two things I think you got to pull away from this. Number one, you don't want to live by the law of reciprocity. Now, I promise you, I didn't just say a bad word in church. Let me, let me say that again. You don't want to live by the law of reciprocity, okay? What do I mean by that, okay? It's basically this. At God's party, we don't deserve to be there. We are accepted at God's table because Jesus went all in for us, right? But we often live by operating system that I get what I deserve and I give to people what they deserve, Right? Let me give you an example. When someone takes me out to lunch, we go out to lunch, and they pay for the bill. What's usually the first thing that comes out of your mouth? Anybody know? I'll get the next one, right? Some of you, I owe four next ones, right? Like, I'm just, I'm putting a tab right now, okay? You're very generous, and I thank you, right? But I always say, no, no I'll, I'll get the next one. Or if someone has me over for dinner, uh, Katie and I talk, we're like, man, we really need to have them over for dinner sometime, Right? But in our culture, that's the way we work. We, we live off of reciprocating in relationships. Well, Jesus is trying to tell us you can't do that with God, right? The foundation of the gospel is that you and I owe a debt we could never repay, and God had to give us grace entirely as a gift, a gift that cost him everything and that he wants us to willingly receive with joy, okay? And so you've got to get this. This shatters the idea of investing our lives primarily into people who can pay us back. God poured himself out, even though we couldn't repay him. Therefore, we cannot leverage our lives investing only in people who benefit us, right? So that's the first thing. You can't live by the law of reciprocity. And then the second thing, there's a reward for investing your life in people who cannot repay. Look at verse 14 again with me real quick. He says, and you will be blessed, although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the dead. And Jesus didn't live a comfortable life. He never owned a home. He was poor. He was a servant. He gave his life to serve others. Jesus didn't do this because he liked poverty and pain, right? He, he set his face to Jerusalem. He knew he was going to the cross. He had eternity in mind. He went all in. Philippians 2 tells us because Jesus was impoverished here on earth, he is now lifted to the highest heights. His name is above every other name. Here's the point I want to make. What we sacrifice down here on earth will be repaid to us one day in heaven. 
Do you believe that? Right? Jesus says, lay up treasures in heaven. Now, let me lay out something for you. I save for retirement, right? Every paycheck, they they take money out and they put it into a retirement account for me. So I think saving for retirement is one of the most wise, most like essential things you can do. Okay? If you, if you have a job, save for retirement. Okay? But here's the thing. One day I might retire. It'll probably be in my mid-80s. I'm really looking forward to it, you know? <laughs> Saving for retirement in a broken world is wise. But there's no guarantee I'll even get to enjoy all of that money. Right? I may not even get there. I'm not promised tomorrow. But let me tell you something even smarter, even wiser than saving for retirement. Laying up treasures in heaven is, has even more wisdom. Because here's the thing. In heaven, all that is broken by the fall will be made right again. So when I get to the new heaven and new earth, guess what? This broken down body, it's glorified, right? It's like I'm, I'm 18 again. I can run without things hurting. Like, that's going to be awesome. If I store up treasures in heaven, then when I get to the new heaven and new earth, I'll be guaranteed that I get to enjoy them. Now, we don't know what these treasures or rewards will look like. I'm pretty sure it will have something to do with people and the people that are there because of our ministry and because we were faithful. But I do know this. I may not be able to like, enjoy all the things I'm saving here on earth. But I do know that one day I will enjoy the treasures I lay up in heaven. Jesus tells us you will be rewarded when you invest in people who cannot repay you. The question is, do we really believe that? When we believe that, it changes everything. So let's let's put the pieces together. I've thrown a lot at you. I want, I want to bring it all together now with some application. Here's some questions I want you to ask yourself. If your life was depicted as a party, who's the party being thrown for? Ultimately, who are you living your life for? Are you living your life for the glory of God only? Or is your life about advancing your agenda and building your small little kingdom? Who is the party of your life being thrown for? Who are you celebrating? The second question, if your life is a party, who's on the guest list? Now, granted, family and friends, they need to be on the guest list. But is it only people who can benefit you? Or are there people on the guest list who who can't repay you back because of your investment? And then finally, the last question we would ask, how are you practicing biblical hospitality? Here's where we bring it all together. The word hospitality in the Bible means to welcome a stranger, right? So in the Bible, fellowship is when we gather with all of our Christian friends. But hospitality is when we invite outsiders to come into that circle, right? In the book Bowling Alone, I love the title of this book, Bowling Alone, a Harvard professor chronicles the decline of hospitality in American culture. Let me point out a couple of his statistics. I want you to hear this. He says the number of people playing cards together is down 25%. Full-service restaurants where people walk in, sit down, have a meal together is down 25%. He says that the number of fast food restaurants are up 100%. 
I don't know the percentage of fried chicken places, but apparently they're booming in Manchester, right? (laughs) But the reason why it's up 100% is so many of us now eat meals in our cars and they're given to us by teenagers and they have a clown on the bag, right? And that's, that's a meal sometimes for families. Sometimes that's not how it goes. But Having a social evening with a neighbor, down 33%. Having friends over to your home, down 45%. So here's the thing. Just inviting people into your home today is counter-cultural. counter-cultural. You know what I'm trying to say. But when you mix in guests who can't repay you back, who are outsiders, that is revolutionary. The world will look at that and say, why do you care? Why are you inviting me into your circle of people? Why are you trying to do this for me? Right? Mind blown. Fellowship is spending time with your Christian friends. Hospitality is not having the perfect home from Southern living. It's when you invite outsiders to enjoy that community. And we have to remember, Jesus did this for us, right? Like, he already lived in loving community. It's called the Trinity. But he said, you know what? I want a people to enjoy this with us. So he practiced biblical hospitality with us. The question this morning is, are you willing to go all in in biblical hospitality? Would you invest your life into people, and primarily into people who cannot repay you back? Let's pray together. Jesus, you don't need us, yet you want to have a relationship with us. You lived in perfect relationship with the Trinity, and yet you reached down to people who could never repay, and you gave your life for ours. Help us to live that way. Lord, help us to go all in and help us to see your way is better. We ask this in Jesus' name.